everyone, it is Stephanie Postles, the host of Up Next in Commerce. Before we get into our latest interview with another e-commerce leader, I wanted to let you know that the Up Next in Commerce podcast is now available for sponsorship for the first time ever. By partnering with us, your company will be connected to interviews with the most compelling founders, CEOs, VPs, and digital leaders in the world of commerce today. You have nothing to gain but thousands of followers and millions of impressions each and every month. Reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to see how your business can benefit from partnering with our team at Up Next in Commerce. Blended DTC with Omnichannel is a huge opportunity, but Omnichannel can often work as just establishing brand presence that ultimately pushes people into DTC or vice versa. Imagine this, you've developed a new product, one that you know works and that you know people need. There's just one minor problem. Selling that product requires you to not only enter a battlefield filled with regulatory landmines, but face competition who have billions of dollars at their disposal. We're seeing this situation play out in the multi-trillion dollar industry that is supplemental and pharmaceutical sales. It's an industry that entrepreneurs everywhere are trying to make waves in. And just like any other industry, finding success means coupling the right product with the right strategy. Zach Williams was able to kick the door open with his company, PIM, which sells all-natural amino acid-infused chews that have proven mental health benefits. Zach is the son of the late actor Robin Williams, and he is using his own experiences navigating the ups and downs of mental health to help him build PIM into a company that advocates for mental health support wherever any individual needs it. Practically, that means working out a business strategy that allows PIM to not compete against Big Pharma, but sit alongside it. And it includes developing new kinds of convergent experiences that allow consumers to operate in a physical and digital world simultaneously. Zach explains all of that and more on this episode of Up Next in Commerce. Enjoy. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. Respond quickly to changing customer needs with flexible e-commerce connected to marketing, sales, and service. Deliver intelligent commerce experiences your customers can trust across every channel. Together, we're ready for what's next in commerce. Learn more at salesforce.com slash commerce. Before we dive into this episode, I was hoping you could please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It helps spread the word about the show and I would really love it. So please let me know how I'm doing and give me a rating, give me a review. Let us know. All right, enjoy the episode. Welcome back to Up Next in Commerce. This is your host, Stephanie Postles, co-founder at Mission. Today I'm chatting with Zach Williams, the co-founder and CEO at PIM. Zach, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Stephanie. It's it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm very, very excited to have you on. I was going through my amazing prep doc and I First thought that Hillary was playing a joke on me when she wrote down Zach's the son of actor Robin Williams. And then she likes to put in silly things to see if I'm going to like go with it. And then I'm like, oh, wait, this is actually real. And I started reading a bit about your story and your company. And I would love for you to actually start with that. Like, tell me a bit about what led you to PIM and yeah, expand on that. Cause I was really excited to hear about the full story. Yeah, certainly. Well, um, what led me to starting PIM the mental health support company started very early on in life. I had anxiety throughout my teens that manifested into something more extreme. Uh, after my dad, the entertainer, 
Robin Williams died by suicide. I found myself experiencing bouts of depression, also extreme anxiety and, and stress episodes. And, uh, and I was feeling like my life was becoming unmanageable. I was mm -hmm. trying to use alcohol to self-medicate and was trying to find any other solution that would work. Um, tried cannabis products, had prescription pharmaceuticals, which worked for many people. For me, I didn't find the solution that necessarily helped me in a, a way that would work in perpetuity. And, um, and then I found, you know, some help in things like talk therapy and the like. But um, through that experience, a couple of things happened. One was I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder yep, and um, was dealing with a lot of issues associated with that. And um, the other thing is I started to find help and support through committing to service, specifically working with mental health organizations, not-for-profits, supporting them around things like governance, organizational development, fundraising initiatives, strategy, business development, whatever, whatever it is they needed help with, I, I wanted to jump in and support because I found actually that commitment to mental health organizations really helped me. And through that experience, another thing started to happen in which I found that me sharing my story and what I went through and the like really helped others while helping myself. So I found that being vulnerable and taking a lens of, of vulnerability and, and opening up really ultimately uh, ended up starting that process of healing for me. Mm -hmm. and, and so, so I found the mental health advocacy is one component. The second component is when I took self-medication out of the equation using alcohol, and by the end I was drinking alcoholically and it was just not not good for my mental health. I was feeling very emotionally dysregulated and, and not having a great time. And, um, and so when I cut out alcohol, I was still really stressed and really anxious and realized that I needed something to support me throughout the day. And, and I found a solution that my wife introduced me to my wife, Olivia June, who's, who's also a co-founder in PIM, she turned me on to amino acid, of, uh, amino acid formulations, which when I tried them, uh, were a game changer. Mm -hmm. They helped me feel clear and erase the anxiety that I was feeling and that was, that was ultimately crippling me. And so she was introduced to this sublingual tincture by one of her doctors. And, um, and when I tried it, I was just like, wow, this is transformative. So armed with the insights of mental health advocacy is very healing for me. And amino acid formulations really helped support me throughout the day. I realized there was an opportunity to develop something that was very near and dear to my heart, but also helpful for people while focused on the core mission of mental health support. And so I started PIM with the lens of creating a brand that stands for mental health support, like Red Bull stands for energy. Yep. And so in starting the company, we kicked off the, the food science and product development elements of that in 2019 and created something that was both safe 
and effective while also being delicious. Uh, and we worked with a food scientist named Lena Kwok, who was the research, uh, the, the director of research and development for the French Laundry, which is a you know, restaurant in Northern California, yep. a very well-known internationally regarded restaurant in California. And, uh, and so we wanted to create something that had a great taste and smell and, and a texture that felt unique, but also toothsome. And so we came upon something that we ended up testing with, with our early beta testers that they liked and they found effective. And so we uh, kicked off the commercialization phase when we decided that everything was uh, in line with not only how we wanted it, but how our beta testers felt it should be. Very and cool. um, yeah. And so through that process, we, we hired uh, the chief operating officer of Sugarfina, a wonderful man named Scott Coolard, who came on as our chief operating officer. And he accelerated the process of commercialization by about 200%. And uh, now we're out in market. And we're, we're just, we're getting this feedback from our customers and early advocates that our product is a lifeline and it's helping people in a very significant way. And we're doing these give back campaigns where we're supporting mental health organizations, starting with Bring Change to Mind, which is an organization I'm on the board of that uh, focuses on developing communities and high schools for mental health support while uh, launching campaigns to break down the stigma associated with mental health. And moving into 2021, we will be uh, deepening our relationship with Bring Change to Mind and have a portion of our proceeds of every sale going to uh, supporting building mental health communities in high schools. So that's what we've been up to in a nutshell. Uh, the why behind it relates very much to mental health advocacy. We see ourselves as a brand that stands for advocacy, and we want to really triple down on, on supporting the movement associated with mental health. That's what we're all about. That's great. So, I mean, it seems like this kind of product would have a lot of barriers to entry, because when I think about the market right now around, you know, mental health products and CBD and cannabis and all this stuff, like there's already a market there. There's already been a lot of messaging, a lot of advertising before a product based on amino acids, which honestly, I haven't even really heard of that. I mean, tell me a bit about how you overcame those barriers and educated new audiences or starting to, I know you, you know, just recently launched, but tell me a little bit about that process to, you know, really get your product on, um, yeah, front of people's mind. Sure. So, so amino acid formulations for mental health support is not a, it's not a new thing. We didn't miraculously come upon something that was new to the world, mm -hmm. um, but they were gaining momentum and popularity as a way to provide mental health support by balancing out the endocrine system uh, in the '80s and '90s. And something happened in the '90s that set off an era of uh, a pill to solve all your problems in life, kind of that, yeah. that, that era of taking a curative approach to symptoms. Do you know what that event might be? Hmm. I mean, I'm guessing you're talking about prescription pills, but I don't know what the event is. Yeah, so actually it's a very specific prescription pill. It was the, the creation of Prozac. 
the profound thing about Prozac is it was a product that would function as an antidepressant that would not kill you if you took it in excess or stopped taking it. Because at the time, the available toolkit of prescription pharmaceuticals had toxicity associated with them. And and, in certain situations, you could take a product. And if you stopped taking it, you would be at risk of of severe, Mm -hmm. severely debilitating effects and the like. And so Prozac created kind of a safe mechanism to provide you know, mental health support. And I'm a big believer in prescription medication being helpful for many, many millions of people. I don't want to make it seem like I'm not supportive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the momentum that amino acid formulations were gaining kind of fell by the wayside in, in favor of this era that was lasted, you know, a couple decades of, you know, a pill to solve all your problems. And so, you know, it's only been in the last five plus, you know, just over five years from my perspective, that the whole idea of seeing the individual as a system, as a collection of interacting organs and functions working together to help support and sustain the body, that idea and premise has really been embraced in a major way by the medical community. And so, Going hand in hand with that is the idea and premise that you can take certain products that kind of balance yourself out because they provide support for a number of different systems and create kind of a balanced ecosystem that better help you. Mm-hmm. And so that's where that's kind of where amino acid formulations kind of come into play. So from our perspective, we just concentrated you know, these existing amino acids in a way in which they actually provided a more comprehensive form of support for stress and anxiety with our first product. And so, you know, <laughs> that, that's the story in brief. Yep. But, uh, you know, the challenge is very specifically, we need to popularize amino acid support as a way of providing mental health support because it's science research and studies behind uh, amino acids being helpful for people. But, um, People aren't too aware of it. And so as part of forming the company and making the effort to formulate something that was helpful for people, we established a science advisory board from Harvard Medical School, UCSF, USC, and MIT, and with a specific focus on neuroscience and neuroendocrinology, with some mental health epidemiology being an element of that as well. And as part of that, we are in the process of establishing pretrial study, which we'll then use as a foundation to go into an actual clinical study that we'll be, we'll be using to really get a deeper understanding of how we can provide decisive support for uh, the mind and, and the body. We're, we're, we're kind of in the brave new world of natural compounds providing support both for, for the brain and mind and, and also the body. But, you know, I'm, I'm an advocate and believer in compounds that are safe and effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it does feel like the timing's right. I mean, 2020 is the year where I've at least seen a very big shift in, you know, not only healthy living, but people actually looking into the source of what they're, you know, ingesting and, thinking about um, healthy alternatives to 
not only their diet, but also things they're taking, whether it's prescriptions or whatever it may be. So it feels like the market's ready for it, but then figuring out ways like you're doing to pull it together and put it in an easily consumable format where people kind of know, oh, here's the five things that are coming together. Here's what they're going to do. Someone's already done the science behind me. Instead of trying to piecemeal these extracts and you know, things off of Amazon together to try and fix a need based on, you know, all the YouTubers and influencers and people who are telling you like, oh, this is good for this. And this is good for that. It's so much information now. Well, you know, that's what I was doing. I was cobbling together an experience that helped me, but it was a bunch of different products. And so I agree. You know, I think that there is a major opportunity on the research side too. There are some great companies that are focused on establishing more research through studies, some registered, some focused more so on kind of doing doing the research to really understand how things work prior to actually doing registered studies. And there's organizations and companies that are focused on actually creating frameworks to do the testing. I will give a specific shout out to my, my buddy, Jeff Chen, who was one of the founders of the Cannabis Research Initiative at UCLA. And he recently started a company focused on doing research around uh, natural compounds. And uh, his new company, Radical Science, is, is hyper-focused on establishing frameworks, specifically clinical frameworks, around testing for natural products. It's so essential that people actually really start understanding what it is they're putting in their body to support themselves. How do you approach that regulatory field? Because like you said, I mean, it's to me, it sounds so scary entering a market like this one where, you know, you're doing things for the first time. It's new. People aren't used to it. I mean, I like, how did you approach this field? And did you find any, you know, quick paths to get past some of the crazy rules and regulations to be able to actually start, you know, creating a product and testing it and uh, seeing how it would work? Yeah. So great question. Um, So it wasn't a cold start for me. I'd have several years of experience working with complex compliance and regulatory environments due to investing, advising, working within the cannabis industry. Got it. Um, Okay. That's good background. (laughs) So you weren't a newbie to this. You're like, I've done this before. (laughs) No. And so the lens we, we take, and and, you know, I'm say we as in terms of our team and, and our advisory board is Mm -hmm. prioritizing compliance and safety. So you know, in starting the company, we sought the most sophisticated advising we could get. We need to continue prioritizing safety as front and center with what we do. And, you know, we're, we're, we're a dietary supplement as a product class. And it's important to consider how we make claims. We are very cautious with how we do so because... From our perspective, we are given the privilege and opportunity to provide support for people given a specific framework, and we want to be considerate of that framework. Mm-hmm. The key thing for us is, you know, as we go about doing studies and the like, is is we want to develop a deeper understanding of how we're actually providing support for people. And is your goal to not just be a dietary supplement eventually? The big goal for us would be to become a doctor recommended product, or there's a class of products called a medical food. Mm -hmm. And what a medical food is, is a product that is meant to support specific disease states and the like. 
it's a it's a product class. It means there's a lot of research behind how it's been effective to support different states, and so you can make specific sets of claims. You know, from from our lens, the reason why medical food establishing that type of status is important for us is because that way, you know, we can actually say we've done X amount of research. It's shown to be statistically significant, and we can we can really make these specific claims around supporting people. But, you know, that's a process that takes a long time to do, and it's not inexpensive. And so, you know, there's stages that we're required to kind of get through to get to that point. Yep. How much money are you estimating it could cost to, you know, have your product become medically food stamped? It's a weird oh, term. Oh, man. But. <laughs> there's, a range. there's a range. It depends on what, what type of condition we're seeking to support um, mm-hmm. and how long the study is meant to be conducted. Generally, these studies are months long, in some cases, you know, over a year. And so, you know, it's not inexpensive. Let me frame it like that. <laughs> yeah, I guess that is what makes me, I mean, worry about maybe new entrepreneurs who see opportunities or, you know, if they're like you, but they don't have connections and they don't have, you know, the story that you have and, you know, maybe the status. And you're probably like, don't say that. But, you know, you have a lot of things that maybe a lot of others don't. I feel like, seems like innovation is going to kind of stall if, you know, it takes so much money to get something natural into the world or a blend of something natural and then to be recommended over top of prescription drugs where these pharmaceutical companies have huge amounts of money and marketing. And I mean, I read this whole book about it was called like the cure to cancer, cure of cancer, something that was about like apricot oil and the apricot seed. I don't know if you've ever read this before, but it was about how this guy was showing that apricot oil, I think that's the kind of oil it was, was having a big impact on cancer and cells and all this. And then all of a sudden, these big pharmaceutical companies like started putting out hits on him and he had to go to a whole different country to prescribe it. And it's like, seems like an insane world to even try to do something new just to start. And then also not having, you know, a huge budget or connections doesn't feel like anyone can enter this market really. Um, well, there's ways to do it. The barrier to entry in terms of launching a natural product is not as high as say launching a pharmaceutical product, right? Yeah. So, but you have to, you have to make certain assertions to say, Hey, you know, this product will be effective. It seems to help people and you have to generate demand. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're very much in the business of demand gen from a pharma perspective. I would say that Pharmaceutical companies are actually taking a lens of openness towards utilizing natural compounds to better support people. Okay, so uh, they're not CPG taking out hits on you. <laughs> no, no. I mean, where it gets challenging is like if you're if you're going out and saying, you know, we have a mental health support solution, and you go in certain channels where you're trying to advertise, you could you just get squished. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you just can't yeah. afford to acquire a customer. You know, when you're talking about going and <laughs> you know, in a channel which people are seeking certain mental health support solutions through search, for example. So you have to find ways to maybe be innovative to not have to rely on the same channels as maybe the big pharma companies and find ways to, you know, get to the users who are probably looking for that, but they just don't know exactly what to look for. Yeah, <laughs> like the I terms mean, th- to search for. The big advantage that that entrepreneurs should look for when it comes to creating uh, an edge, an unfair advantage in this space is distribution advantages. Mm-hmm. Tell me more about that. Well, you know, so so direct to consumer, there are some advantages, yep. but there are also some 
disadvantages. We have had limited success with paid search. It, it's just hard for us because when people are searching for specific needs, you know, that can be very expensive from, <laughs> from, a, from an SEM perspective. So what do you do instead? Like if you're, okay, paid search is expensive for us. What kind of channels are you maybe looking at instead or experimenting with where maybe you're finding better results? We've had enormous success with earned media and, and organic SEO and mm-hmm. the like, but that's a process. That's a strategy we set out from, from the get-go and applying. I come, I, I come by our company and the products very, very honestly, you know, and, and part of what I do with mental health advocacy is just share our yeah. story consistently. And, you know, when, when it's combined with him, people are curious. And so, you know, sometimes they end up being drawn and attracted to our product. The thing too, which, which we found has been helpful for folks is that we're not advocating for a product to be a cure-all. It's actually kind of, I don't want to say the opposite because that's not quite the case, but it's kind of adjacent to that. We want to get people into the mindset of prioritizing mental health hygiene as part of their daily ritual. Hopefully our product's a catalyst, right? And so, you know, if they're taking our product as the solution for their mental health support over the course of their day, that's great. But ideally, they should be doing other things to best support themselves, Yeah, you know? Yep. Which I think that's the messaging that will win going forward. I mean, all the companies I've had on the show so far, so many people talk about authentic messaging and, you know, not just having the same kind of corporate speak like, you know, you maybe they used to years prior or something. So I think thinking about how to craft that going forward, it's actually more trustworthy if you say something like, this isn't, you know, a fix. This is meant to be a part of your daily routine along with exercise and eat healthy and, you know, whatever else you need to do to stay healthy. Yeah. And, you know, the thing for us, we really want to push for and advocate for something I call enrichment loops, meaning, you know, if you come to our product and take it on a consistent basis, hopefully it's, it adds value every time, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, meaning you're clear headed, you can learn something, you can engage in an activity that's helpful. If that's not the solution for you, then we're not going to push it on you. Yep. Do something else that helps you. If you, if it, again, this is where prescription pharmaceuticals, if you're finding a solution with prescriptions, by all means, take that solution. Yeah. If it's, if it's meditation, if it's mindfulness activity, if it's a fitness regimen, if it's nutrition, for most people, it's most likely a mix, mm-hmm. right? And, and, you know, for me, it's a mix of meditation, eating well, some fitness, but I could definitely be better on it. Um, you know, I take PIM because it helps me. And I think I'm a, I'm a big believer in talk therapy and community support groups. Yep. That's my mix. Yeah, everyone will have their own. Unfair advantages in distribution. If you have a digital channel like uh, like an app or something, we're mm-hmm. exploring creating a companion experience. You know, okay. that gives you an ownership of, of being able to really provide unique insight, push out notifications, establish a foundation of data that better helps you understand what it is the customer needs. And, uh, and there's an advantage there. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, blended DTC with Omnichannel is a huge opportunity, but Omnichannel can often work as just establishing brand presence that ultimately pushes people into DTC or vice versa. 
you know, it could yep. be DTC that ultimately pushes people into a daily, you know, loop, ideally an enrichment loop around purchasing products at their natural grocer. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'll close at that. But I think focusing on unfair advantages and distribution is how entrepreneurs will get ahead in a very challenging space. Yep. Yeah, I agree. You know, a lot of entrepreneurs that I've talked to on the show, a lot of them have really good stories, but not everyone tells it. Like some people are hesitant to tell their story. Did you experience this with, you know, everything that happened? Did you ever feel a need to pull back and you weren't sure if you wanted to share or you weren't sure like what you wanted to talk about? Like, tell me a bit about how you thought about sharing your story and resonating with people. Like, were you scared at any points to do that? Because I've heard a lot of people have been, I don't know how to tell it. The lens I take is that there's great strength and vulnerability. And I've been guarded a large part of my life. And, you know, in not sharing my experience and the like, I realized that I was losing out on opportunities to help people. I was given many advantages in life. And there are elements that have been disadvantageous. But instead of seeing it as that and seeing it as kind of a foundation for resentment, or being annoyed around certain things. I say, this is just part of my experience. And there might be shared experiences, or there might be something that would be unique to your experience or not very many people. And and I think that needs to be embraced. So my whole thing is share my perspective and story as it relates to Pim, try to be, you know, considerate of really the advocacy that underlines what we're doing as well, because that's what really matters at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think people just need to find what it is that they want to tell and really understand that they're crafting their story in the present, in the now. If you don't want someone else's story, you know, own your own. It's a muscle. I, was, I had a lot of fear and anxiety around sharing stuff for a, lot, for a large part of my life. So now you're talking about like even before your dad's passing, you were not very vulnerable, like what pushed you to want to start sharing? And why do you think you were holding back before? I think that I was doing certain things that I was ashamed of. I was, you know, drinking has always been a problem for me. I'll be perfectly honest. And there was something that only, you know, came to a head where I was just like, whoa, this is getting out of control after my dad died by suicide. But prior to that, it was something that that was a challenge and I I wasn't liking doing it. Mm -hmm. And you know, I think there were elements of my story that I was like, I was ashamed of, perfectly frankly, you know, and to be perfectly frank about it. And so, you know, in that, I, I realized, you know, there's certain, there's certain elements of my story that are, you know, private. And I relate to being considerate of the sphere of indiv- individuals or communities that are, you know, entitled to that. And then, you know, there's, there's elements that I love to share and talk about. And, and the thing for me is when it comes to mental health, talking about mental health and the like, I like talking about it because it's very healing for me. Mm-hmm. So the, before the show started, we were talking a little bit about converging experiences. And I want to hear how you're thinking about this, especially, you know, with probably giving certain talks that now, you know, this past year had to all be virtual, not as much in person. Like, tell me a little bit about how you're thinking about online and offline blending and yeah, what, what you guys are betting on for next year. <laughs> well, the big bet we're made, making is that people will continue needing 
mental health support products. I mean, after 2020, like, yes. <laughs> yeah. But here's the thing is that, you know, relative to the pandemic, there's been a shift into the COVID pandemic. We can talk about the parallel mental health pandemic, which is a thing too. There's been a shift to kind of embracing and engaging or customers, communities, populations, embracing and engaging in digital experiences, whether it's telehealth, things like that, or for meetings, remote work, Zoom, things like that. But we're hitting the stage where we're starting to see what a post-pandemic world will, will look like. Just little glimpses of it. And there will likely be people wanting to connect with other people in person, people wanting to go out and shop and dance and eat out in the open. So there will be habits and there will be people who have become acclimated to digital experiences, but people will also want to go out into the world. So I think it'll be interesting to see the blend of online and offline that's going to be this new paradigm. And I think, you know, as we're thinking about it at PIM, we're, we're very much thinking about establishing a companion experience to support people throughout their daily activity. For us, there is a need to really establish a better understanding of how people are requiring mental health support products and experiences. And, and in the neuroscience community, there's something called an adjuvant experience which mm -hmm. is shown to be very helpful. And what adjuvant means is, is very simple. It's just something and something else. Something so, and something else. Wait, what? <laughs> it's just, Sounds it's, simple, it, but I don't get it. No, it's just an adjuvant experience is like talk therapy and some sort of prescription protocol. Oh, so like, okay, blending two things together. Got yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's adjuvant experience. And so, you know, from our lens, we wanted to create an adjuvant experience that is fun, accessible, and accretive in terms of delivering value and support for people. Mm -hmm. And the two things that are most helpful, at least in terms of based upon my experience in talking with researchers and doctors and scientists about how consumer-oriented mental health support experiences can help people is insight and community. The insight component involves behavioral recommendations, maybe data, specific things that help people live a life that they want to live. And the community component involves supporting authentic connection with people. Mm -hmm. So those are the hints in terms of how we're thinking about developing an adjuvant experience, which ideally we hope to be convergent. And I, I see there's an enormous opportunity and it's very hard to get right. I'll, I'll say that. I'm not, you know, this isn't a cakewalk, but because you need to really factor in blending the online and offline experience into something that feels natural and seamless and ideally fun. I think a lot of companies are going to be taking that tack because events are going to be really big. Mm -hmm. People are going to start eating out again. People are going to start shopping beyond just kind of going out and, you know, doing a foray out into the wild and then coming back. Yep. You know, it's going like, to be oh, something I just went that, to Costco. What a blast. <laughs> well, you know, but we're, yeah. you know, for instance, where Target has really, really done an excellent job is on their, their pickup experience. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's been a game changer for Target this year in 2020. Yep. Where you shop, you order online, and then you go to Target, you pick stuff up. That's yep. technically a convergent experience, blending the online and offline, because it involves you having to engage in the physical world 
and using a digital experience to achieve your goals and objectives. But I think most companies are going to have to think about that in a very meaningful way in order to maintain an edge. You know, I, I think, I think telehealth platforms have achieved a huge boost this year, but there's going to be some reversion and it's not going to be a reversion to the previous mean. So they need to think about, okay, what is it that we can do to establish an edge to further support people when they go out into the world again? Mm-hmm. And yep. so that, that's essentially what I mean by a convergent experience. From, from a mental health support perspective, it's really about developing an adjuvant experience. Yep. X and Y together at last to create better support for people than, than the individual parts. Got it. I love that. That's a very good example and description. And I feel like I learned a new word. So this is a win all around. <laughs> hey, it's my pleasure. All right. So we have about 10 minutes left. I want to shift over to the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by our friends at Salesforce Commerce Cloud. This is where I'm going to ask you a question and you have one minute or less to answer. Do you think you're ready, Zach? Yes. All right. What's up next on your Netflix queue or Hulu or whatever you use? I'm excited about watching The Crown. It's been on my list for ages and I, I, we're starting to get through our queue. And, and so now it's The Crown. A lot of people have said that. So I'm guessing you're going to enjoy it. All right. Cool. What one thing do you not understand today that you wish you did? I wish I spoke Japanese. Hmm, that's a good one. I love Japan. It's my favorite. I love Japan too. I, it's just for me, I, you know, the, the process of learning a new language is already daunting for me. I'm not a polyglot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't learn other languages easily. Yep. You know, at some point I should just take the plunge and just start. But um, that's my goal, learning Japanese. That's awesome. Yeah, sounds like a good goal. If you were to have a podcast, what would it be about? And who would your first guest be? My podcast would be about getting to the very core of people's experiences. Like what's their truth? And, mm-hmm. and whether they know it or not, hopefully we can uncover that truth. What is, what is it that they're all about? And my first guest would likely be one of my favorite people on the planet, Dr. Adam Ghazali, who is uh, an advisor for PIM and a scientist and um, a profoundly interesting person that I'd love to get to the bottom of finding his truth. This sounds like a good show. I think this needs to happen. Thanks. What's the nicest thing someone's ever done for you? Well, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan of my son, Mickey. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and, that's good <laughs> and having uh you know my, my wife olivia her 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 having carried mickey for nearly a year oh <laughs> that's sweet <laughs> that was that was extremely thoughtful and considerate of her <laughs> <laughs> that's very sweet i like that all right and then the last well i have two more um what's up next on your reading list i have the there's a bunch of things but the main one is the jim simon's biography cool all right and then the last one what one thing will have the biggest impact on e-commerce in the next year i think it very much relates to kind of more seamless experiences frictionless experiences because it 
even though it is quick and can be considered convenient, it could be so much more convenient. And I think the disruptors mm-hmm. that are establishing quick checkouts, embedded checkouts, connecting wallets to checkout experiences, things like that, that's going to, that's going to be a game changer because it enables, you know, people, people who have an edge there are going to really be able to see the difference in their bottom line. I know it's a very tactical consideration, but I think that's really one of the game changers. Yep. Yeah. You'll have to check out our interview with the CEO of Fast. It was a very fast and good interview and definitely opened up my eyes to what a frictionless e-commerce world could look like. I think Fast is great. Yep. Cool. All right, Zach. Well, thanks so much for coming on here and sharing your story and being vulnerable. Where can people find out more about you and PIM? Um, well, you can find out more about me <laughs> through uh, tuning into the, this podcast and others, other advocacy work I do specifically. I'll push people to the advocacy. Mm-hmm. Um, I work with organizations called Bring Change to Mind, United for Global Mental Health, uh, Inseparable, and, um, and then Project Healthy Minds. Those are the four mental health organizations I work, I work with. So... You can find out more about me through the work that I do with those organizations. And then you can find out uh, more about PIM at youcanpim.com. Y-O-U-C-A-N-P-Y-M.com. Amazing. I will be checking it out after this. So thanks so much. It was really a pleasure to have you on and love to have you back in the future when your app is out. Awesome, Stephanie. Such a pleasure. listeners. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud and created by the team at mission.org. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.